You're listening to The Blind Stealing the Blinds, a podcast by students of the game for students of the game. Join Dell and BJ in conversations about theory and bridging the gap between theory and application. We're all in this together, so let's get to it. This week's topic, how to apply concepts at the table or how to engage in purposeful practice. Hey, Dell, how's your week been? Been fantastic. I uh, got laid off Monday. And as you know, that's, you know, everybody like thinks every time I tell people I got laid off, they're like, oh, God, that's horrible. But for me, it's like, great. I get more time to play poker. So, <laughs> you know, and it's just a part of That sounds yeah. good. So, And given that you eventually want to transition into playing poker full time, that gives you more time to practice being a full time player. Absolutely. So I'm I'm kind of happy about the more time to play poker, more time to put into my study, and more time to put into the study groups. So how's your week been? My week has been good in the sense that I think I'll finally be able to hang out once again with my father on the golf course and not embarrass myself. My father took some lessons recently, and he has up-leveled his game tremendously. He's hitting birdies every round. He's shooting like between two and four over par. His game is leaps and bounds above what mine is currently. Now, I used to play that way back like 10 years ago when I had a membership. Just this past week, I dedicated some time at the driving range and relearned a few key fundamentals like a full rotation, what an effortless, powerful swing looks like, and I got back to my 2000-2010 yardages. I was driving the ball like 275, 280. I was hitting my 9-iron 150. I'm going to give my dad a run for his money. So I know my dad listens to this podcast, so you better watch <laughs> out, Pops. I'm gunning for you. <laughs> yeah. So wait a minute. You mean fundamentals count in golf like they do in poker? They absolutely <laughs> do. That almost sounds like a segue to an episode. Almost, almost, but not this one. <laughs> no, no. So this one actually talks about taking those fundamentals that you know and applying them on the table. It's really hard to do. You can master all the fundamentals you want. You can do all the combinatorics and the pot odds and all the math and psychology off the table. But unless you can operate at game speed, you're going to flounder. And we want to provide a framework to help people practice purposefully. And so that's going to be our solution is that, look, at first, you're not going to operate at game speed the way you do off the table. But if you put in enough deliberate practice, you could get there. Absolutely. And so we're going to talk about how to right. get there. So since, since and, you mentioned the framework, I want to mention that BJ and I are going to actually post the framework that we set out here. We're going to post that on our Facebook page, which is the same name, Blind Feeling the Blinds. We're going to uh, also put in our work on there on that Facebook page. So suggest anybody who's listening, join that page and join along in the fun. Uh, put your goals in there and stuff and that way we can uh, get better together. Absolutely. So. You've probably heard of this 10,000-hour rule. It's not true. There's no 10,000-hour rule. The guy who coined that concept is a scientist who unfortunately has passed away recently, I think two years ago, Anders Ericsson. And he wrote a book called Peak, Secrets from the New Science of Expertise. And he doesn't really talk about 10,000 hours rule. What he talks about is deliberate, purposeful practice. Like a story I can share from the driving range, because I, you know, I just went there this weekend. You will see all these people just whacking balls. All they do is they tee one up, they put one on the mat, they whack it. It doesn't go anywhere. They lather, rinse, repeat. 
with no aim. I don't know if, I mean, maybe they're taking out frustration. Maybe they're just having fun. Maybe they're not trying to practice. And I'm thinking they are. When I practice, you know, I have alignment sticks and I honestly take video of myself. You might laugh. I've actually recorded my swing because I'm doing it with intentionality and focus. And that's kind of the thing that we want to bring to the table. Don't just do naive practice. Just because you've driven a car for 20 years doesn't mean you're any good at it or you're better than you were 15 years ago. My family and I, this is probably mean, my family and I actually joke around at the dinner table because our neighbors fail to back into their parking spot every day. No kidding. Every day, like two or three times, they'll try to back into their spot. Clearly, they're not doing deliberate practice. They would have figured this out by now. It's not hard. There's no moving objects. Just put it between the white lines. Well, I I think that deliberate practice is very important. I I think that the way I look at that, and and literally, it's the same thing. It doesn't matter how much studying you do, because when we were getting ready for this episode, um, I think that we can both agree that I am better at the study part than you are but you are superior at the practical application. And that's that purposeful study. When when you're doing practical application, it's because you're actually doing that purposeful action, purposeful work. So it doesn't matter how much purposeful study you do if it doesn't become purposeful practice. Right, right. So that's like a perfect example of that is a few months ago, I was told that I needed to just follow this set of rules for a while. And and I was very annoyed with it because my game, I've always believed, was a matter of adjustments. I adjusted to the, my player pool. I adjusted to specific opponents. And that was the thing. But I was forced to go back to this very basic game because there were holes in my game that were lacking from the fact that I'd never had that purposeful, practical application. Well, now we can give you a framework and maybe in future episodes, we will walk you through this framework and do some check-ins Because look, we're students of the game for students of the game. We're not purporting to be experts in this. We eat our own dog food, so to speak. So maybe one thing we can do is in future episodes, we will touch back with each of us because honestly, I need to do this too and see how we're doing on this. And people can also comment on the Facebook page and on Instagram and Twitter and all the socials that we're on and we can get better together. You know, so I think that one of the biggest problems here is is what, what happens is bad information goes in, right? And we start practicing that bad information. Like a perfect example is, you know, 10 years ago, you know, the argument was you never gave up the lead. You never gave up the lead. If you were the aggressor pre-flop, you kept aggressing. And and we've come to realize that that's simply not good on a lot of, you know, most flops, you're still going to be able to take and be the aggressor moving forward. But there's a lot of flops that it's just not good to keep doing that. And, you know, there's still people who are in that information, you know. There are still people who are still see betting 100% of flops because Harrington told them to, you know, 10 years ago. So a lot of that keeps going forward. So you get a lot of this bad practice and it ends up at the table. So we have to go back and we have to do the purposeful study, maybe have a study group, maybe take and work with a coach who can tell you what you need to study, do that study, and then bring that to the table one piece at a time and apply it to your game one piece at a time until you have that piece perfected and move on to the next piece. So where do you see that in your game? First of all, I love the fact that you mentioned practice doesn't make perfect. Perfect practice makes perfect. If you practice the wrong things, if you more firmly ingrain bad habits into your repertoire, you're going to get really good at executing those bad things. And that is not what we want. 
We want to practice solid fundamentals and sound strategy, whether it's golf, poker, chess, tennis, whatever you do. If you are practicing bad behaviors, you're just going to further ingrain them into your routines, and that's going to be a a sabotage. You're going to self-sabotage there. Things that I see helping me in my game is really this framework for this purposeful practice. How do we do deliberate, not naive practice? And Andrews Erickson puts forward this model. It's really what I want to do is just talk about the four things. It's just a four-piece model. And then we can go into discussing how to execute this model in our games. So really, it's only four things. It's one, set a reasonable goal. We can talk about smart goals later, but set a reasonable goal. Because if you don't have a reasonable goal, you're going to set the bar too high. You're either going to fail or you're going to get frustrated and quit. And we don't want that. Focus is the second part. When's the last time you ever focused for 20 or 30 minutes, no distractions, put your phone away, put your social media away, 20 minutes on anything? For me, I can't really think of anything. I mean, I I focus 20 minutes watching Bob's Burgers on Hulu. That's pretty much the extent of my focus. The third one is immediate feedback. You can do the best thing, but unless you're getting feedback from someone else It's not going to help you. I like to think of this idea of mental inertia. You know, a body in motion will stay in motion unless acted upon by an outside force. Well, your brain is going to want to do what it wants to do, thinking it's the best course of action. Unless and until something or someone acts upon your brain to say, hey, hold on, there's a better way. And by the way, ego plays into this because you might not be ready to hear that news. So I have a question about that one before you move on to the other parts. So when you're looking at that, how do you go about getting your feedback? Because feedback is important. Like 90% of poker players are losing poker players. If our feedback is the feedback we get at the table from those players that are losing players, it's not good feedback. So how do we go about getting good feedback? Good question. Good question. And this actually goes to the fourth part, which is just stretching your comfort zone, which might actually go into asking for feedback. So one thing that I like to do is talk to people who are respectable in the poker community. Talk to people whom I respect, who I know play well, either a forum or a Facebook group or something where you know the people are of a decent caliber, hopefully better than you are. Because if I'm seeking feedback from a whole bunch of players that are less knowledgeable and less accomplished, I'm likely to get feedback that's not really that constructive. But if I'm chatting with a group of people who are coaches or really high-level players, then I could tell them, like, I could post a hand history and say, hey, here's what I did. I think I made a really good move here. Look at this turn. Wasn't this turn move awesome? And they're like, why were you even in this hand? You should have never even been in this hand pre-flop. So they will take my hand history and just turn it completely on its head. One thing I do for the immediate feedback is posting in a forum and seeking the advice of people that I consider better players. Another thing that you can do, and this gets more into like the math-based stuff, like if you're doing combinatorics or calculating pot odds or the break-even point of bluffing, run the numbers. I mean, the math really only has one right answer. You know, if the pot is $200 and you bet $200, what's the break-even point? How many bluffs should you have in your range? By the way, it's 33%. But how do you know that? You need to have run the numbers. And the fact is, if you don't know how to do that, there are a lot of websites out there that will help you, you know, guide you through the steps to do that math. So what do you think about that, Dale? Well, you know, I I think that I think that all of that's very valid. I mean, both you and I are a member of the same uh, site, and we both post more than just about anybody else in the forums um, on that site. Maybe not so much now as we did a year ago, 
but I mean, that's how we got to know each other was constant posting, constantly getting that feedback as to whether our, uh, our plays were good, bad, uh, correct, incorrect. The thing is, I, I think that the most important thing, and I forget where I got it from. I, I was reading material on a group of people that were all top end poker players. And one of them said that the big thing that helped them out was they were constantly hammering out the automatic play. They were hammering the auto play out of their game. Everything had to be thought through. Why did you do that? How are you doing that? What? Why does that make sense? Why can't you do this instead? Would this be more plus EV? And, and those questions and that constant hammering the auto out, it didn't mean that the play was wrong. It meant that we, you know, we needed to think about it and turn it, as you said, upside down and examine it and see what was the most positive EV line. So, yeah, I agree with all that. So, and now you got one more step, right? There's a fourth step, isn't there? So the fourth step was uh, stretching your comfort zone. Oh, I zone. thought that was the third. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, 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 that's fine. That's fine. So stretching your comfort zone. I love this. And I think there's a great analogy with weightlifting. If you drove a car that's a 100 horsepower car and you drove it consistently like it was a 150 horsepower car, that engine would burn out. If you take your 100 horsepower body and start lifting weights, exercising it, it will become 110. It will become 120. It will become 130 up until your genetic potential. But the whole thing is you can stretch yourself and transform your game to levels that you might not have ever thought possible. You might be a 1-2 recreational player right now with no aspirations of ever getting to 5'10". That's just way beyond your bankroll. That's way beyond your skill level. You see that one table of 510 at your local poker room, and they're just all crushers. Eventually, with enough focused practice and stretching yourself, you could go there and you could hang with those players. You might even find out they're not as good as you thought they were, and you can start dominating them. So the fourth one is really like the culmination of all three, and that's stretching yourself. I'd like to go back to the first one, which is just coming up with a goal. You mentioned SMART goals. Right. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. It's an acronym. It's for specific, measurable, achievable, realistic, and time constrained. Now, arguably, I have heard of it. There are different. Oh, you've heard of that? Yeah, I've heard of it. It was it was uh, we both have like the same guy, Sky Matsuhashi. That's where I heard it from. <laughs> OK, yeah, I heard it in some management class back when I was getting my master's. The letters sometimes mean different things, but mainly what it is is to come up with I want to lose weight. That's a terrible goal. That's like a dream. That's a wish. I want to lose 20 pounds by next Saturday. Okay, you're getting closer. Uh, you have a date. You can measure yourself. Am I going to get there by two weeks? No. I mean, unless you go through surgery and have like a couple organs removed, you're not going to lose 20 pounds by next Saturday. But it's specific. It's measurable. It's time bound. It's not realistic. If you consult a lot of the mainstream health outlets, typically one to one and a half pounds per week is sustainable and pretty achievable. So let's say now your goal is I want to lose 10 pounds by September 30th. Well, this podcast is going out around the first week of July 2021. That's plenty of time to get there. So that's the example of a good goal. In terms of poker study, I thought to myself, and this is where I'm going to put myself out there, I'm going to study 30 minutes a day, three days a week. That seems pretty achievable. It's time bound. I can't do it. So what happened was I quit. I started failing. I started not being able to study 30 minutes a day, three times a week. So now I study zero minutes a day, seven days a week. How is that better? 
even if I just studied for 10 or 15 minutes a day, that's better than nothing. This is true. What are your goals? What goals do you have? Because I know well, you study a lot. Well, first of all, I want to talk about something, and then I will definitely uh, express my goals, all right? I will gladly express my goals. First of all, consistency is the most important thing here. So believe it or not, 10 minutes a day, in my opinion, is better than 30 minutes three times a week. That's my opinion. Now, that doesn't work for everybody, all right? But it's the consistency thing. If you can't do it consistently, then what happens is you spend most of your time trying to catch up what you lost, you know? It's like weightlifting, you know? If you don't weightlift for two years and you go in and you weightlift, go back to your analogy, which, by the way, I'm still trying to figure out how I can get my 100-horsepower car to lift weights so it can go faster. If you don't lift weights for two years, you're not going back in at the same place you left off. You're going to have to spend time. Well, it's the same thing with learning. You know, and it's the same thing with practical application. You're not going to start where you left off if you haven't been doing it consistently. You're going to you're going to have a lot of ground to make up. So consistency. Yeah, I agree with that goal. Set it so that you can it's something you can do consistently. I like that. I like that. And, and the thing that helps with consistency is setting a given time every day. There is no reason why I could not talk to my wife and son and as a family because they support me playing poker. I buy fun things for them. They like it. But there's no reason why I couldn't talk to my wife and son and say, hey, after dinner, let's say from 6.15 to 6.30 p.m. every day, would you mind if I just sequestered myself in the basement and did some poker study? Open up Flopzilla, open up Poker Cruncher, do that. With them saying yes, with them being on board with my goals, they're going to help me hold myself accountable. Because they will hold me accountable. So that's going to help with the consistency. Set aside a given time, coordinate with your family or friends, poker friends. I mean, check in with them. And even for like the feedback, say, hey, I want to send you a hand history like every day. Would you be willing to review a hand history a day? I would have no problem with that. If anybody wanted to send me a hand history and they honestly wanted my help for them to improve, I could spend the five minutes reviewing a hand history and giving it back to them which is funny for me to hear myself say that out loud because I'm willing to spend five minutes for someone else to help them with their game, but I'm not willing to spend 15 minutes a day for myself. How weird is that? It's actually not weird. It's normal. It's, it's, it's just the way people are. You know yeah, we I mean? want to help, right? Right. Well, it, it's all, first of all, it's always easier to identify somebody else's problems than it is our own. You know what I mean? It's easier to be objective about somebody else than it is yourself. Oh, absolutely. Right. So my goals is, well, the overarching goal is that I want to be a professional poker player. And like you said, that's not a good goal because it doesn't have a timetable. It doesn't have a process, you know, but that's the overarching goal. So the question is when? Well, I have a job that start, I start July 12th. And by the end of that job, I would like to be making enough money to be a professional poker player. Is it reasonable? Probably not. Is it possible? Yes. Yes, it, it is possible, but it's not really reasonable in the sense that it's not very likely. But shortly after that, it's possible. If I'm building up my bankroll study, the overarching goal breaks down into smaller goals. So what's the first goal? You know, build up my bankroll. Um, my wife makes good money. So, you know, six months worth of expenses isn't necessarily uh, something that I have to build up to. It's already taken care of. You know, so it's like, that's part of the goal. Well, what are the most important things about being a professional poker player? Well, I do know that this game is still evolving, you know, so I have to study. So there's a, a study goal in there. And one of those is that I put about an hour of study in a day. And that sounds really massive. But I run two student run 
study groups. And a lot of the study for those study groups for me is passive. So that doesn't really count. You know, I don't really count passive study. I'm preparing for them, but it's passive study. And I do a lot of time stamping on the video so I can find where I need to take and set it up. What really breaks it down is this focused study that I have to do on my hand histories. And I do that every morning. That's not true. I do it most mornings. I'll get to that in a second because I've had some lack of consistency lately. And the other thing is, is that I'm going to spend at least 30 minutes of that time in constructive study on, on something that I need to learn for my game. And a lot of that right now revolves around GTO principles, although I'm not a big uh, GTO player. I think that the GTO principles are very uh, foundational to understanding exploitative play. Those are little goals that lead to that bigger goal of wanting to be a professional poker player. And it goes deeper than that. You know, like I am constantly testing my theory of poker with coaches and other students. Honestly, I, I, it's the acid test. If I'm afraid to present my opinion or theory on something to people that are better at the game than me, then I probably don't have a very solid theory. And if I present it to them and I can't hear you're wrong, if I can't take that in and say, okay, I'm wrong. Why am I wrong? What do I have to do differently? If I can't do that, then I don't improve. So absolutely. That's, that's a huge part of it. I mean, really, we covered the framework and we gave people the tools to do it. But that ego, I want to get back to the ego. So just to quickly summarize, you want to have a goal. And we already talked about how, Dell, we could refine your goal somewhat to be a little bit more realistic. It sounds like it's a smart goal. Uh, might not be necessarily attainable. So that R or that A in the smart might need some tweaking. But you have the idea for a goal. And we talked about how people can use that smart framework to come up with a goal. There is focused, deliberate practice, putting the equipment away, putting away your social media, focusing intently, coordinating with your family and friends to help hold you accountable for that time. And you mentioned consistency is a key. So I'm going to take that on for myself. I'm going to revisit my plan to make it smaller and more consistent. Immediate feedback. This really gets to the ego part. If you are not willing to listen to the feedback, then why even ask for it? Uh, well, I can tell you why a lot of people do it. Uh, I mean, I, I can honestly tell you why a lot of people do it. Is um, it because they want to hear someone say that they're right? That, yeah. You know, uh, you know, you know what? You and I, we both know people who post in the forums that we're a part of that we know they're posting because they're, they're, the whole thing is, look at this play. Wasn't I brilliant? And when somebody tries to say, I wasn't brilliant, they got all sorts of reasons. No, no, you don't understand. He winked twice and turned his head to the left. And that, you know, um, <laughs> you know, so we know guys that do that. And and that's okay for them. It really is. It, it's, if that is what somebody needs, that's what somebody needs. If you want to get better at poker, that's not going to help you. I think that, and, and you know what? I'm going to tell the truth. You know, here, you, you know, here's the thing. One of the things on, on this podcast, we're going to be very open and honest about ourselves. I've done that. I've been that guy that's like, no, no, look, aren't I brilliant? I'm like, I'm so smart. Didn't you? No, no, you don't understand. No, it, I'm smart because. No, no I, I know you think I'm wrong, but no, wait, you got to understand. I'm, <laughs> and no, I wasn't. I was just being arrogant and ego driven. The thing is, we just did a podcast on ego. And it's funny because 
our our podcast on manufacturing EV has already got more views. We did it afterwards than the ego one. And, and it just gives you an idea. People would much rather look for that magic bullet. Well, hey, maybe manufacturing, maybe that's what I need to take and be a winning player. Well, the ego one will make them more money, but that's harder to listen to. <laughs> if you can find a way to get your ego under control and be able to take the different parts of your ego and activate them at the right times to help yourself move forward, to understand like that parenting part of you that's going to say, hey, we've got that smart framework to use, to be able to take that rebel child and say, no, no, relax, you're going to get your needs met. If you can do that with your ego, you're going to make a lot more money than this episode will get you to make and, and the one before this will get you to make. So yeah, I agree. Ego is very key in all of this. If you can't, if your ego can't hear somebody saying, there's a better way, then you're going to struggle. And I have, I, I can, you know, I have my ego at one point could not handle that. <laughs> so agreed, agreed. And I was in the same boat too. I mean, we both were, honestly, we both were. The way that you'll be able to know whether this model is working well for you is in your ability to start making mental representations and predictions. You get to that part of unconscious competence. There's conscious competence where you have to think about things and then do them and you're okay with it. But like driving, You've often, I mean, I've done it. I've driven to work completely unaware of how I got to work because I was listening to like an excellent podcast. I was on autopilot. Well, okay, on the golf course, I will be on the fairway visualizing a 200 yard five iron with like a little bit of draw coming into the green and then I will execute that shot. And there is no better feeling than having a clear vision in your mind, stepping up to the ball and doing it. The same thing is in poker. There is an amazing feeling when you think to yourself, I'm going to take this action and this guy's going to check raise me and I know what he's going to check raise me with and then I'm going to shove and he's going to call and I'm going to stack him and it exactly plays out that way. Because you've done all this practice off the felt, you can come on the felt and have this deep understanding and it's almost like you're in the zone. You will be in the zone more often the more you the more you can execute this model of deliberate practice the more often you'll find yourself in the zone on the felt and that's amazing like you're neo in the freaking matrix yeah it is it's great when you can like literally sit at the table and you know your opponent so well <laughs> and you know what you can identify their mistakes and exploit those mistakes accordingly that that is an awesome feeling and the more you practice purposefully, the more that will happen. You're absolutely correct. So before we close, I want to talk about a couple of things. Um, you know, BJ and I do have a YouTube channel that we're going to, it has zero content on it at this moment. By the time this podcast is out, though, it will have some content on it. A couple of things that is going to happen on it is that I am going to start making videos about my poker journey and my goal of trying to take in, make it as a professional poker player. I don't know what BJ plans to put on there, but we'll both be putting content on there. And some of it will be just content as out of a, just on a whim. We feel like making that content today, but we'll try to take and make some consistent content on there for you. We are on Instagram, although I am uh, very Instagram illiterate and am trying to figure out how to use it. We will start posting some uh, chip porn on there and some other things. And we're going to be on Facebook. So there's a bunch of stuff. Yes, Twitter. Yeah, I, you know, I, honestly, I've had like Twitter on my phone for like five years. I, I think I've tweeted once. I'm going to have to fix that. I will say that BJ and I are part of the same training site. 
And if you are interested in knowing what that is, message us on Facebook. We'll probably be more than willing to tell you what that site is. And we both are very active members of it. BJ is very active, and I run two uh, student-run study groups on there. Oh, one more thing. Will you tell me what that book was again? It's Anders Ericsson, and the book is called Peak, Secrets from the New Science of Expertise. So thanks a lot, BJ. This has been awesome. Thank you. It's always a good time. Thank you for listening, and until next week, this is The Blind Stealing the Blinds. <laughs>